Thank you for listening to Word Today with Levi Griffin. For more information, find us on Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook. You, you find your po- purpose, you find your focus when you see God. Matthew 6.33 says it like this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these, and anytime, if you've ever heard me preach, I talk about the, all these statements. I love them. We see them in Hebrews. We see it in Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 talks, has one of those all these statements, right? And all these normally comes after a list or before a list. In Deuteronomy 28, it comes before a list. He says, listen, worry about me and all these. And he begins to list all of the blessings. We'll be the head and not the tail, right? That's Deuteronomy 28. We'll be blessed going in and coming out. That's Deuteronomy 28, right? He says, our storehouses will be blessed. That means wherever your, your money is, wherever you keep your money, whatever bank you use will be blessed. If you put all of your money into Alaskan eel, Alaskan eel will just have a bumper crop. Why? Because your money is there because you're blessed. He says, listen, it's, it's, it's an if and statement. Listen, if you obey me, all these will be yours. And we see this, all of these in Matthew 6, 33. Say, you know, seek me first. You know, seek me first the kingdom of God and all of these. And that comes after a list. People are worried about their finances, their clothes, their families. He says, look, man, don't worry about that. Seek me first. But that brings us back to purpose. Purpose, right? When can we really hone in on our concentrated purpose, right? There's four things. And, and this, is, this is a note for you if you're writing. There's four things that you really, really need to know to hone in on your concentrated purpose, right? And above that, you might want to just note Matthew 6.33, that all these statements. Seek first God, and God will... I like, I like to put it like this. If you forsake all for God, God will forsake all for you. Amen. If you forsake all for God, God will forsake all for you. Oh, well, you know, my spouse might not love it if I pray. You know, my, my friends, I may, I, they might not be agreeable with me if I pray at church or if I, or if I, they may look at me funny if I worship out loud. They may think I'm crazy. If I go to work and, and they're talking about the ball game and I'm talking about Jesus, they may not, that may not go well for me. But the, the beauty is if you forsake all for God, God will begin to forsake all for you. He'll say, man, I know those issues you made, don't worry about them. Those, those mistakes you made, don't worry about it. The thing you did when you was 12, that thing you struggled with, don't worry about it. You've forsaken all to seek me, and I'll forsake everything you've done to bless you. So four things that keep us from our concentrated purpose. I like to call them four factors of failure, or the four things that keep us from seeing our concentrated purpose. And I'm going to list them for you. I want to tell you a story. And if you guys want to see, I have a picture of a slave called Dred Scott. It's really, if you can see that, that's him for those that, that are able to see it. Um, his name is Dred Scott, and I want to read you an excerpt about Dred Scott. Is that okay? All right. All right, check this out. This is an excerpt about Dred Scott and Tithe and Child First Purpose. Dred Scott first went to trial to sue for his freedom in 1847. Did you know a slave could sue for their freedom? I didn't, not until I began to research this. So Dred Scott first went to trial to sue for his freedom in 1847. And there's actually another person, uh, uh, a white man that was... um, that actually was paying for his, this is, we're not going to get into this part, but just some stuff that I want to throw out there. Someone else was paying his bills. Because remember, he's a slave. He didn't have money to pay for a lawyer. So another person that believed in, I guess, abolition, uh, was an abolitionist, was paying for Dred Scott's attorney's fees. God will send somebody that's not even supposed to like you to bless you. 
And uh, but Dred Scott, that's that's some, that's next walk with Jesus, right? Um, so Dred Scott first went to trial to sue for his freedom in 1847. Ten years later, after a decade of appeals and court re- reversals, his case was finally brought before the United States Supreme Court. In what is perhaps the most infamous case in its history, the court decided, check this out, the court decided that all people of African ancestry, slaves, as well as those who were free, could never become citizens of the United States and therefore could not sue in federal court. They had no rights, but it couldn't sue. The court also ruled that the federal government did not have the power to prohibit slavery in its territories. Scott, needless to say, remained a slave. Born around 1800, Scott migrated westward with his master, Peter Blow. They traveled from Scott's home state of Virginia to Alabama, and then in 1830 to St. Louis, Missouri. Two years later, check this out, Peter Blow died. So the master died. Now, now, this is his chance, but listen. Peter Blow died. Scott was subsequently bought by Army surgeon Dr. John Emerson who later took Scott to the free state of Illinois. Now he's in a free, he's a slave in a free state. Now I could preach that for a minute, but that we won't. So he's a free, he's a slave in a free state of Illinois in the spring of 1836. After a stay of two and a half years, Emerson moved to a fort in the Wisconsin territory, taking Scott along while there Scott met and married Harriet Robinson, a slave owned by local uh, justice of the peace. Ownership of Harriet was transferred to Emerson. So the slave moves to a free state. So he's a slave in a free state. And that, that, to me, that, I could preach that because that kind of goes to a lot of our mind frames, right? God will free us from a state, but we'll still have that slave mentality. What they say, you can, you can take the kid out the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out the kid. They're in a free state, but he's still a slave. All right? Then that would have been his opportunity right there to sue. This is what it says. Scott's extended stay in Illinois, a free state, gave him the legal standing to make a claim for his freedom, as did his extended stay in Wisconsin, where slavery was also prohibited. But Scott never made the claim while living in the free lands, perhaps because he was unaware of his rights at the time. He's living in a free state. See, he was suing for freedom in a slave state. And when he went to the state court, it's like, this is a slave state. You don't have any right to sue for freedom. This is what, this is what, it, it's kind of like someone, you know, suing for the right to buy gas. It's legal to buy gas. Why are you suing for this? This is what, slavery is allowed here. You can't sue for something that's legal. But then he moves, his master dies. He gets a new master, the army general, who takes him to Wisconsin and Illinois, free states. Now he can sue for freedom. <laughs> But he never does, probably because he doesn't know that he can. Listen to how Hosea puts it. Hosea 4 puts it like this. If you have your Bibles, this is one of our verses and one of our texts. Hosea 4. And I'll read it to you. Hosea 4 puts it like this. First, first verse. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. Who is he talking to? Israelites. Who is he talking to? Israelites. Because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bonds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. But let no one bring a charge. 
Let no one curse another, for your people are like those who bring charges against priests. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother. And and, and this, this kind of like, this kind of hit me for a minute. So I'm reading Hosea, and he's saying, listen, you're wicked. You're wicked. You kill people and murder follows murder. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. You lie. You steal. You curse. And then he goes on and and, and the list of all of this, he says, and I will kill your mother. And I'm going, why are you killing the man mama? You know, what the mama did. (laughs) What the mama do? You know, the whole land acting a fool. He said he was going to kill their mamas. And, and the one that gave birth to him, the one that nurtured him, the one that, that matured him. But then it says this in verse 6. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Almost as to say, your mama should have taught you that. Goodness. Almost as to say, I'm not, not only am I going to destroy you, I'm going to destroy your mama. Why? Because she didn't teach you better. It's powerful. It says, so my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. One of the first reasons we don't live our concentrated purpose, the thing that God brought us to do, the reason we're put here on this planet to do, is lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. Number one, lack of knowledge. The slave could have sued in Illinois where he was an extended resident with all of the rights but he had no knowledge that he could do it. So he remained a slave. The people in the, the, the men in the, 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 the they say don't go raka, they, you know, fool. These people were living raka. They were living like this. And he says, man, I'm gonna destroy your mamas because they should have taught you better. Lack of knowledge. I'll tell you this quick story. I was living in Richmond, Virginia and uh, I used to love to love, I own my own business, marketing business, but also used to sell computers to kind of uh, to make a little extra cash when recording and stuff was slow. So I would go to the Goodwill auction, right? And in the Goodwill auction, one of the first things they would do is they sell off all of the computers and they have pallets of printers and pallets of computers. I mean, really, really nice stuff. So people just donate to Goodwill. I mean, you could go get a pallet maybe for 80 bucks and sell it and make, you know, 800 bucks. You know, if you knew what you were doing, and I was a, okay, I have an IT background, so I could do it. So I'm walking in to the Goodwill, and there's some people <clears throat> I see off in the distance. They're riding bikes. I guess they just have awesome bikes. And you could tell it's a mother and a daughter. And all I hear is, don't you beep, 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 and you better never do, do, do. And when I see, beep, 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 I'm like, oh, goodness. I feel sorry for this little girl. Girl, maybe like 14, 15. I'm like, her mama is chewing her. I mean, she's getting after her. And I'm just like, oh, I mean, you just hear, if, if you could see the curse words and bold text flying above your head. I mean, and, and, and as they ride uh, and as they ride and they pass by me, and I, you almost don't want to look, you know, but I look, it's the mother that's on the first bike. It's the little girl on the second bike cussing her mother out. Oh. Cussing her mama And uh, I could only think two things. It was, it was a, a, a white family. I could only think two things. For one, growing up black, I would be dead. If I ever cussed my mother out like that, 
You wouldn't be Pastor Johnny Griffin and be like, oh, well, he was a good man. <laughs> that would have been, been, been a game changer right there. I would be, I'd be living right now, right? Best case scenario. So it, so it makes sense when he says, I won't even destroy your mothers. I will destroy the people that should have taught you better. Because you're guilty, but they're just as guilty. You ever seen somebody that, you know, and you ever heard saw a kid acting up and their mom and dad was in the room? And you're looking at them and you're looking at the mom and dad like, dude, Jimmy's terrible right now. Yeah. And, you, and they're over there like, uh-huh. Right? You're like, man, I want to spank the kid and spank you too. Right? So he's saying, listen. Acts 17 says it like this. Acts 17 says he no longer weeks at ignorance and to repent. What is God saying? God is saying, I will punish the person that should have taught you better, but that doesn't keep you from being punished yourself. Now, now did you think like the slave, he had no ability to learn. He had no ability to know what he didn't know. Then there's some people that just hadn't heard better. They weren't around people that were talking better. There were some people that grew up in bad environments that didn't see better. There were some people that was in some places that didn't experience better. And God says, no. If no one's there to teach you, you need to find a way to learn on your own. I will no longer wink at ignorance. You will no longer just be able to walk and say, I didn't know. Especially here in America, we have access to the Internet and we can find anything in five seconds from our phones. I no longer wink at ignorance. You need to know. First thing is lack of knowledge. Second thing that keeps us from living our concentrated purpose, and our concentrated purpose is our ultimate destiny. I mean that 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 space. If you've ever done something and felt amazing, like this is it, I'm living life. This is this is what it's all about. If you ever like went to church under the bridge and fed the homeless or ministered to one of your coworkers at work or did something and you just felt like this is it, this is what I need to be doing with my life, you felt like you had hit it. That's what I mean by concentrated purpose. Why God put you here, not the things you want to do, not the things you hope you achieve one day. The reason God created you and put you here, that's your concentrated purpose. That's the purpose you need to be concentrated and focused on. And why don't we hit it? Why don't we live there all the day? All of us, there's not a person in the room that doesn't want to live in their purpose. But we don't. All of us don't. One is lack of knowledge. We don't know better. Two is lack of faith. Lack of faith. The second is lack of faith. I want to ask you a, a question. What are the names of the 12 disciples? What's the name of the 12 disciples? You got Judas, James, Peter. Mark wasn't a disciple. Thomas. John. Two Judases. Two Judases. That's very, very good. Did y'all know that Mark and Luke weren't disciples of Jesus? Did y'all know that? What's the Gospels? Matthew? Mark. And Mark and Luke weren't even disciples of Jesus Christ. I would make a note of that in my Bible if I had y'all. Mark, they called Mark basically like the son of Peter. They think. Mark was discipled by Peter later, right? Um, and Luke 
I don't have my notes on me. So, but Mark and Luke weren't disciples. Matthew and John were. Now, let me tell you this. I'm going to list, list some of the names. I'm going to list the names of the 12 disciples. You can write them down if you don't know them. All right, so the first is Simon. Simon, who was called Caiaphas, or Cephas. Cephas. What does Cephas mean in Hebrew? Come on, somebody. High five. His name is Simon, but in Aramaic, Jesus calls him Cephas. When the Bible gets translated into Greek, it becomes Petros. When it gets translated into English, it becomes Peter. And we, we read our Bibles and it says, Simon called Peter. Right? Why did, and, and you have to understand, Jesus never changes a name. God never changes somebody's name without a huge overarching purpose. Abram was going to die and have to leave everything he owned to a slave. Abraham had a descendant of many nations. We're all descendants of Abraham because we believe. Abram, Sarai would have never had a kid. But Sarah is the mother of all the faithful, right? When God changes their name from Abram to Abraham and from Sarai to Sarah, he changes their entire destinies. When, when God begins to look at somebody and says, hey, you're no longer a trickster. You're no longer a trickster, Jacob, trickster. You're now Israel, right? Like the 12 tribes of Israel, the people that defeated the Philistines, the people that were led out of Egypt. When he changes Jacob's name, he changes his entire destiny. So when he begins to say Simon, because Jesus wouldn't have called him Peter like we do. He would have called him Cephas. When he says, I'm going to call you Cephas. I'm going to call you Rock. Think about Simon. You know, Simon, we call him Peter. I'm going to say Peter so we all on the same page. Think about Peter. Peter's the one that's swinging, you know, cutting people's ears off, right? I'm willing to die for you. Peter's the one that just, the storm is blowing, you know, blowing. And, and it, you think that the entire boat is about to sink. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, beckon me to walk out. And Peter walks out in the water. This is Peter. And Jesus looks at him and says, you know what? You're not all there as far as knowledge. But I'm Jesus. I can teach you knowledge. Because all faith is, is applying your knowledge. A lot of people know, but they don't do what they know. You ever say, hey, man, you know better. You know better. Which means you have the knowledge to do better than what you're doing. Faith is just using your knowledge and doing it. That's all faith is. Taking your knowledge and doing it and, and, and acting on that. So he's saying, listen, Simon, you can't be swinging and cutting people's ears off and, and, and shaking your fists and ready to fight. But you have the heart. You believe. The reason, the reason I, I read this Facebook. Can I, can I get in the flesh for a little bit? I'll get back in the spirit. All right. So I read, I read this Facebook post and it was, it was, it was hilarious. And I laughed and, and it just popped up. I normally block random people that, that, pop, that post stuff on my page. I don't unfriend them. I just... Uh, hide their messages. And uh, so what happens is this, this little meme pops up and he has like this girl going off on this guy, right? Just like going off. You see just the, the, maybe the weave is flying off. I don't know. So, <laughs> so she's going off and the message says, <laughs> the message says women only go off if they really care about you. Like they're only, that's the, and I'm paraphrasing, but they, they're not going to exert so much energy, you know, I guess checking your phones, what they're saying, going through all this other craziness, unless they are really just like madly in love with you, right? And I was like, man, I want to be in love one day, but that's crazy. You know? 
I'm like, babe, what you doing? I'm checking your phone and going through your emails and your Facebook account. I'm like, all right, I'm going back to sleep. You're crazy. All right. And um, but but the thing is, that passion is what the, the meme was trying to say. The passion was there. And Jesus saw the passion in Simon and Peter. He says, listen, man, you don't know everything to do, but you believe I'm the son of God and you're ready to act on everything. So I'm going to call you rock. So we have Simon. He says the first was Simon, who was called Peter. Peter and his brother, Andrew. James and John. So we have Simon, Andrew, or Peter. You say Peter, Andrew, James, and John, his brother John. They called them the sons of Zebedee. But guess what Jesus called them? Bonerges. Bonerges. What does that mean? Jesus called them Bonerges. I think it's B-O-A-N-E-R-G-E-S, born nurtures, right? And, and what does that mean? It means sons of thunder. Now, James and John were the same way. When Jesus called James and John to be disciples, they were, the, they were fiery. And Luke, you go to Luke, and, and, and the, the, trail, the, the disciples are walking through, and they get to the Samaritan, Samaritan town, and they were like, we don't like Jews. They were racist. They were like the, you know, the Samaritan version of the KKK, right? So they didn't like Jews. So when they come through to pass through, they say, you can't come through. And then James and John says, you know what, Jesus? We're going to call fire. You want us to call fire from heaven and just destroy him and kill them all? And Jesus rebuked them. Like, no, man, that's not that's not how it is. But he still called them. You're the sons of thunder. You're the sons of pastors. Why? Because he, he realized I can give you the knowledge. But I can't necessarily give you that passion. You, you know, anybody in here can read a book and learn and get knowledge. Anyone in here can, can watch a documentary and get knowledge. But it takes somebody, something special on the inside to begin to burn to have passion, to have faith, right? Calls them sons and thunder. Then Philip, what did he call Philip? Anybody know what he called Philip? Philip? <laughs> <laughs> What did he call Bartholomew? The next is Bartholomew. What did he call Bartholomew? Bartholomew. Bart. Bart. <laughs> next is Matthew. Real name is Levi. Call him Matthew. What is Matthew? It means gift from God. What did Matthew do that was so amazing? Matthew was like a college degree, PhD, executive hedge fund manager. He was a tax collector making big bank. And Jesus just walked up to him and said, hey, man, come follow me. And he put his college degree down, all that big money he was making down. I said, let's go. Matthew, God's kid. James, son of Alphys. What do you call James? James. Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. There was two Judases, and of course, Judas is scary. Right? The one that later betrayed him. So my thing is, why did some of the disciples get these cool names and the other ones didn't? Are y'all tracking with me? Why did some get these cool names and other ones didn't? I think it was because of that level of faith. I think it was that level of faith. They may have had knowledge, but all faith is, write this down, write this down. Faith is acting upon your knowledge. 
faith is acting upon your knowledge. That's why knowledge of God doesn't save you. Not you won't find where knowledge of God saves people. It says demons know God and they tremble, right? They believe in him, they know he exists and they tremble. Jesus himself says this. Jesus says on that day, what is that day? It means the day we all die. We have to see, see him and get judged. He says, on their day, there will be many that cry out, Lord, Lord. And he said, listen, I know you not. And then in their defense, they're going to say it like this. They're going to say, listen, we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. We preached in your name. He says, I don't even know you. You had a knowledge of me. You didn't have faith. There's a difference. You can't know of God. You have to have faith. You have to believe in God. You have to walk in God. You know, if you have a, a church of 300 people, then you're cheating on your wife. You don't, you, you, you may not know God like you think you do. You may know of God. You may have read a lot of theology books, but you, you, you probably don't believe. Because faith changes your behavior. Faith change, it does. A lot of people don't like to preach this stuff because people don't like to hear it. But I told you, hey, I do this probably once a month. Just don't come to the next one. Faith should change your behavior. Does that mean you start walking like a saint instantly? No, but if you look the same way today as you did a dusty year ago, you probably are gaining knowledge, but no faith. And this is a good place to gain knowledge and I, right here at the Christian world. We have some of the most educated pastors and bishops to me in the country. So you can come here every Sunday and Wednesday and get a lot of knowledge. But if you don't start walking in your knowledge, you're not, you're not growing your faith. Amen. We got to walk in. Amen. God is sending confirmation. We have to walk in faith. So first is lack of knowledge. That's why we don't live our concentrated purpose. Second, lack of faith. I'm going to read you Hebrews 11. I'll read it to you. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Right? Without faith. Say, without faith. Without faith. It is impossible, it is impossible to please God. To please God. Listen, it says, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who earnestly, some, some translations say sincerely, seek him. All right, can I, all right, I'm, 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 just, I'm probably going to turn five of you off, at least five of you right now, when I tell you this. The Bible says faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. And, and I think it says that due to the Greek in the, in the English translations, in Hebrew, there's no such thing as faith without works. It doesn't exist. In Hebrew, certain words don't, this, this is what everybody knows that amen means. Amen in Hebrew is iman, iman. Iman means belief in truth. But in Hebrew, if you believe something, it takes something that's true, it is understood that you act upon it. They don't, the Hebrew, they don't have a concept of believing something and not acting on it. We do in America, we do in English, right? We, we could know that going to the gym is healthy for us because we, doctors said we need to go. And we still don't go. So we have a knowledge of it, but we're not acting on it. Hebrews don't have that concept. They didn't understand that if you believe it's true, they don't understand. You know, in a lot of African countries, they don't understand. They'd be like, why don't you go? You know what I'm saying? Like, they, don't, they don't get it. If, if you know this is right, why aren't you doing it? So when it's translated into English, they have to extend it so we get it. But so we translate amen as so be it, right? To let them know this is happening. So be it. Let it happen. 
To them, if I believe it, that means that it's going to happen. That means that I'm going to do it. So here we have to understand when it, when it, when it really talks about faith without works you know, is dead. Because in Hebrew, faith automatically means works. If I believe Jesus is coming back and he said, get my house in order, then I'm gonna get my, it, it's no separation. Here it's like, you know, we got to teach, hey, faith without works is dead. So now you get faith and then you're like, okay, now I got to go do something. We don't have that concept that it's the same. Right? So uh, I, I think I've belabored that point enough. Number three, regret. Regret keeps you from your concentrated purpose. Is this blessing somebody? Is this, Amen. this good? Amen. All right. Regret keeps you from your concentrated purpose. And I'm not going to stay here too long. Some people lay in bed murdering themselves every night. Murdering themselves every night. I used to be one of those people. You know, I went through this little rough patch, like 2004, and for like the next four years, I would just kill myself because I made a mistake, you know? And, and regret will keep you from your concentrated purpose. God is saying, hey, I need you to climb this mountain. You can do it. I've put people that, that are gonna help you. They're gonna bring you the, the things, you, you know, the rope. They're gonna bring you the backpacks. They're gonna bring you a, a GoPro camera so you can video the whole thing and the world can see that I'm at the top of this mountain. You can do it. And you'll lay in bed and say, no, Lord God, I, I can't. I'm, I'm not worthy. I messed up last week. I, was, I ate a double cheeseburger and I wasn't supposed to. Oh, God, I, I told one of my coworkers I didn't want to hang out with them. I was mean. And we'll lay in bed and we'll, oh, oh, oh I sinned. I messed up. I did this. And we'll, we'll lay in bed and we'll torment out. No one can, can tear us down like we can. No one can tear us down. Because other people, y'all only know what y'all see or what I post on Facebook, right? But I know everything about me, right? So I can go back to I was eight years old and I lied on my brother, right? And I can just hammer myself about that if I wanted to. Regret. So this is what happens. We'll take bricks of regret. Oh, I should have done this. Oh, man, I could have done this. Oh, man, if I would have invested my money better, I'd have a house. Or if I would only married a different person. Or if I would only taught my kids better. And we take these bricks and we begin to build a wall in front of us that keeps us from our destiny. They call that self-defeating, right? We become self-defeating. We build a wall in front of us. And then, then what happens is I get with some other, because misery loves company, right? So I come over here to my buddy and I say, man, look at this huge wall in front of me. And then he goes, I'm like, yeah, I understand. I got a huge wall in front of me too. Regret will keep you from that. That's why it's important to come to stuff like this. Have somebody just preach faith into you until you realize, like, man, that, that really doesn't matter as much as I think it does. If I see God, he'll, he'll destroy the wall. He'll wipe away the regret. He'll remove the tears. It says weeping may endure for a night, but guess what? The morning is coming, right? So, so I, I, that's why we have to get together. It says forsake not the fellowship, the assembling, the gathering of yourselves, right? Because somebody needs to preach faith. I know I need to hear, right? So regret is the third thing. And fourth, the fourth thing, I mean, we, and I'm going to try not to camp out here. But the fourth thing is the largest of the four. And that's time. Time is the fourth thing that will keep us from our concentrated purpose. It's time. And not that we're so busy, like, oh, man, I'm too busy to, 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 to do this, or I'm too busy to read, or I'm too busy, I'm too busy. Not the sense of being too busy, but the sense of we have more time coming. Oh, I'll do that in a month. I'll do that in a week. I'll get that college degree whenever. 
I'll go by and I'll help them old people. I'll donate my time. I'll go help church under the bridge in, in six months. So one day I'll get to that. You go talk to anybody that's 95 years old on their deathbed and they'll tell you there's so many things I never got to. We always feel there's more time. I'll do it later. I'll get to them later. I'll play ball with them later. I'll play with them. I'm sure those mothers thought that, right? And he says, I'm going to destroy the mothers. The mothers say, oh, I'll, I'll tell them not to treat women like that later. i teach them not to fight like that later. Oh, he, boys just being boys. I'll have a heart-to-heart -heart with them later. Then it's 30 years later. Right? So I, one of our biggest, biggest, biggest dangers is telling ourselves we have more time. And that's why I think Jesus was so excellent, excellent at living out his concentrated purpose. John was, John the Baptist was like it too. But I think that was one thing that made Jesus like amazing at living out his concentrated purpose. Because he knew when he would die. He knew the day. He knew the time. He knew the way. He knew who was going to spit on him. He knew when they were going to spit on him. He knew who was going to beat him. He knew when they were going to beat him. He knew when, when Judas was going to betray him. Imagine walking around next to somebody you know in eight months, you're going to stab me in the back and it's going to lead to my murder. And still having a smile, God bless, pray for him. It helped him live his concentrated purpose. Knowing. Talk about, talk about concentrated purpose. And this, oh, this, this gets me every time. Jesus is on a cross. They've serrated guts hanging out, blood streaming from his face, arms all messed up. They say they, his face wasn't identifiable. They beat him to mush. He's probably in the most pain a human being could be on. He's hanging on the cross, waiting to die. The most agony, unbearable agony. And someone decides to try to help Jesus out. It's like, hey, Mix some gall in with his vinegar. It's a narcotic. Basically, they're trying to give him morphine. You know, put some morphine in his, in his system so he wouldn't feel the pain. It says Jesus tasted it and put his shit away. Jesus knew that his blood would be the blood that gives us access to heaven and covers our sin and will save the world. And he didn't want any drugs in his bloodstream. Amen. Talk about concentrating. So, so that brings us here. How do we live with that concentrated purpose? How do we live every day walking in a sense of this is where I need to be. This is what I need to, to do. This is where I am. First, we got to walk through our four. First, we need to get our knowledge up. Right? Get our knowledge up. I want to challenge you guys to read the Bible more than you've ever read before. Get on. I've, I just recently discovered Ray Vanderlaan. If you have Amazon Prime, go watch all of his. has like 12 videos uh, just where he's in Egypt and in, in well, the Middle East. And he's in the places where John was and Jesus was and the disciples were. And he teaches from those places or near those places. Watch it. You know, get on your Netflix. Get on YouTube. I love the Davlas. They're some of my best friends. They get on YouTube. They're good for this. Maria will find YouTube, Christian videos and stuff on YouTube and they watch them. Get your knowledge up. Get your documentaries up. Get your Christian books up. Learn more. You know, study. Learn more. You know, come places like this. Learn about Mark and Luke. Right? 
so so learning. Also, and a good way to learn is to teach. Teach your friends, teach your kids. If you have kids, have Bible study. Teach them. They're going to ask you some questions you don't know, and having to learn the answer to teach them is going to make you better. So get your knowledge up. Amen? Is it okay if I challenge y'all? Yes. Can I, can I use a little pastoral liberty and challenge you? I love you. That's why I challenge you. That's why I spend hours and hours and hours studying and reading and, and eating so I can come back and feed you guys. So please let me, allow me to challenge you. So first, get your knowledge up. What was the second thing? Faith. I want you to get your faith up. Say, Pastor, how do I get my faith up? Pastor, how do I get my faith up? Oh, that was terrible. Pastor, how do I get my faith up? Pastor, how do I get my faith up? Well, thank you for asking. All right, so how do you get your faith up? Now, what is faith? What is the definition I give you for faith? Do what you know. Walk out in what God has told you. If you're believing for a house, like me, I'm, I'm getting my credit and everything together before I can buy a house next year, right? So I have to walk out on faith. There are some people that are like, hey, man, you need to pay this much, pay this much. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know about paying this much and this much, but I'm going to pay him. Because i got to walk out in my faith. God told me that my storehouses will be blessed in Deuteronomy 28. So he, and, and Bishop has taught us that we, we will have land. Deuteronomy 28 says we'll have land. So I know this. So I just need to now walk out in faith. Because I can have a knowledge of it, but never have faith, right? You see the people that get to, to heaven and they don't go in because they know of God, but they don't have faith in God. So now i got to begin to walk out on faith. That is, that's what faith is. Walking out in knowledge. Walking out and standing on what God's word says. That's, that's what faith is. Right? right. So, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk out. And that's how I exercise. That's how I grow my faith. How do you grow, how do you grow your muscles? So, Joey, if I wanted bigger muscles, what would I do? I would bench press, right? I would do push. I would do exercises that would cause, cause some resistance on my muscles and my muscles would grow. That's how you grow your faith. Right? There's some resistance between where you are and where you want to be. Push through the resistance. Walk out on the faith. Amen? Amen? What was the third thing? Regret. This is the easiest one. Can't be the most difficult. But the easiest way to overcome regret is speaking words of faith. I can't believe I didn't make that investment when I was 10. That's when your mind tells you that or when I was 20. When your mind tells you that, what you say is, it's okay because I'm blessed. I'm the blessed of the Lord. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. Well, but you're divorced. It's okay, because by, by his stripes, I am here. So John 3.16 says, hey, you know, if, if I believe in him, well, I have access to the kingdom, right? So, so, you know, counteract that regret with life. That's the only way to counteract death. Regret is death. It's all of the dead things that have been in your life and that you're holding on to. But you can't hold on to death and hold on to life. I regret not going to school. Well, guess what? God has blessed me with breath now. I can do it right now. Praise you, God. Give me a fire in my heart and the ability to understand and desire to go do it right now. Right? Because you can't be holding on to life and holding on to death. You got to let one go. You got to let one go. I should have taught my kids better. Are your kids still alive? Teach them better now. If they're not, pray for them. Lord God, I know he's in there. Heaven with you. I thank you for him. I bless your name, Lord God. Right? You can't hold on to death and life. So begin to hold on to life and you have to let regret go. And the last one was the last. Time. This is the key. I, th I think this is the key that ties the first few together. Amen? I think this is the key that ties the, the first three together. It's time. 
Stop living like you have more time. Live like you're going to die tomorrow. You ever met somebody that was been living with something that could kill them? Some of them are the most happy, joyous people. People, you go to visit some of these cancer patients and stuff, these kids in the hospital. Some of these wounded warriors, I was at the Wounded Warrior Amputee uh, event with a, a Marine uh, a friend of mine. Uh, her husband was in the Marines, and we we're there supporting all of the amputees and some of the most pleasant, happy people. You know, they don't take life for granted. When you begin to narrow your scope and stop saying, man, I got 20 years from now, I got 30 years from now, and say, you know what, God, you've given me today, and I'm going to live today like it's my last. The Bible even says, don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough problems in tomorrow for itself. You need to focus on the day. Don't, you know, get that tomorrow spirit off you. I'll do it tomorrow. I get to it tomorrow. I'll not get that tomorrow spirit off you. And you're like, you know what, God, today, you give me today. And I'll take it today. One thing I used to do is I would do this. I would, I would get frustrated if I couldn't go to sleep at like, you know, a decent time, like eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock or whatever time I felt was a good time to go to sleep. I would get frustrated. I'm like, God, I, I can't sleep. You know what I do now? I get up and start doing stuff. I read a book. Well, if I can't go to sleep at 8.30, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, then I'm, I'm going to be productive. God is keeping me awake. He's keeping me awake for a reason. So I go read. I go pray. I get on and, and start working on some material for our next Bible study. I start being, I'm going to use that time to be productive. Because if I'm up to midnight rolling around frustrated or if I'm up to midnight because I'm working on God's word, either way, I'm up till midnight. God, you've given me today. Let me suck every minute. And I'll tell you what, sometimes I get up at 4 o'clock. I went to bed literally about two nights ago at 4.30. I got up at 6.30, and I made it through all day, and I was normal. I was working on God's word. God refreshing me. You know, don't worry about the time. Throw your clocks out. Do what you got to do today. Don't think about tomorrow. Amen? In closing, I'm going to give you this. I want you to, this is your homework. Can I give you all some homework? Live like you're dying. I want each one of you to Facebook me, call me, or text me next week. A list of the things you would do for God's kingdom. Because our God put us here for a reason. Our purpose is tied into serving God, pleasing God. What does Deuteronomy 28 says? Obey me and all these things I will give you, right? What did Matthew 6 say? Seek first kingdom of heaven, then all these things will be added unto you. The key denominator here is, look, find me. Jesus said, listen, you go love me, obey my commandment. The key thing here is find me, you'll find your purpose. Seek me, you'll find your happiness. Go for the things that I want you to go for, and you'll find your fulfillment. So our purpose here is connected to what God put us here to do. So how would you fulfill your purpose? If, if someone told you today, I mean, you have one year to live. One year. On November 8th. 2015, you're done. You're going to see your daddy. You're going home to the Father. How would you live this year trying to fulfill the purpose God has given you?